Welcome to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and Radio Phoenix. Later in the show, Peter Federici and Sam Hippolito will tell us about the Sustainable Communities Program at Northern Arizona University. And we'll chat with Christina Hyatt, registered dental hygienist from North Carolina, also known as the Native Tooth Fairy. But right now, Susan Levy talks with Haley Laughter, CEO and founder of Hojo Total Wellness. On the phone with me today is Haley Laughter, CEO and founder of Hojo Total Wellness. Welcome to our show, Haley. Hello, Yate. Thank you for having me. We're super excited to have you today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Haley Laughter. I am Navajo Diné. Um, my parents are from Chajilta, New Mexico, and Shanto, Arizona. I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, where I found um, yoga as a way to practice um, my well-being. And it became um, something that I really enjoyed and where I found, you know, um, the balance and the peace within myself of who, who I was internally. Um, I have four children and I am, I am currently, um, you know, working on different projects to get yoga, indigenous yoga out there. Um, what I found through my whole practice um, of 10, 10 years of practice is that our philosophy here on indigenous land um, is very similar to, you know, the ancient yogic philosophy. And it's all about connection. So I, I found that, um, you know, through yoga is where I was able to find myself. When I started my practice, I began to ask the questions of, you know, who am I? Where do I come from? Why do I feel like there's a sense of absence within me? Um, what, is this, what is this that I'm questioning? And I moved to Gallup, New Mexico to be closer to my people, to be closer to culture, to be closer to um, the, the, the lifestyle and also the um, ceremonial teachings of our people. Um, from there, I, you know, grew, I grew yoga, um, a yoga following, and I began to assimilate, or I should say, compare the different philosophies between the ancient yogic philosophy and the indigenous philosophy here. Um, and it was very similar, the connection between, you know, Mother Earth, us, um, the universal laws, um, and, and how to live your life um, that coincides with balance, peace, and equilibrium. So how did you come up with the idea or the business of the Hosho Total Wellness, and what kind of services, and has it evolved, or has it always been the same thing? Well, I came up with the idea when I began to teach yoga um, in Gallup, New Mexico, and then I started following with, um, with um, different you know, indigenous people. Um, and I, I began to grow the philosophy, um, which is based on the four elements. Um, and um, I started posting on Healthy Active Natives. And from there, um, I began to get feedback, which was, um, I thought that yoga was only for the right white rich woman, or, you know, you have to be flexible to practice yoga. Or um, I am, you know, like all these different um, ideas of yoga that were not necessarily true. And so I started posting pictures of me um, in my moccasins, um, you know, in, in the land, in the um, scenic land, and posting those. And from there, I re really realized that I had to decolonize what yoga was, um, decolonize the concept that it was that it was only for a certain group of people. And um, from there, I um, grew the following, and it's grown. It's flourished. It's um, it's been something that has actually caught the attention of you know yoga leaders throughout the country, throughout the world. Actually, I was actually on um, the Yoga Journal, featured as one of the 15 game changers of yoga for the month of November and December 2021, and so really emphasizing the fact that anyone can practice yoga, but incorporating indigenous philosophy into yoga 
so that people feel comfortable practicing um, not only working their body, but also understanding the, the whole philosophy of what yoga is and understanding that that's originally like um, as indigenous people, where, what we came from, um, the teachings that we have. All the elements that we have, you know, fire, water, earth, air, are within us and cultivating that. And it's grown, it's flourished. As you can see, there's more indigenous pr practitioners, indigenous um, teachers, and different, um, many different indigenous um, workshops um, and ideas that are coming out. First of all, I want to say congratulations on being one of the game changers in the magazine. That's awesome. And I also Thank want you. to ask, um, can anyone do yoga? So what if you're not flexible and what if you haven't done it? Yes, yoga is so, okay, so one of the perceptions that we have about yoga is that you have to be like super flexible and strong. We see these images on social media platforms that, you know, demonstrate people with extreme abilities, but it's just like running. The more you practice, the more easier it gets, the more flexible and strong your body gets. So a runner would practice um, running and can run longer distances, you know, um, they practice to get their lungs up so they can run long, longer distances. With yoga, it's the same thing. If you stretch different muscles consistently, they become more flexible. Um, so it's yoga. It's a different type of, um, it's a different type of, like runners run to run, gymnasts, um, you know, trained to do gymnast things, yoga, it's the same thing. Anyone can practice yoga. Um, you can, it, it's an ideal setting to be in a beginner's class. Um, beginners, you know, even if you can touch your toes, if you can bend, it's about working the body. So it's not necessarily the goal to being able to do the full expression. It's more of the idea to um, cultivate what yoga is within the body. And so any type of stretching, any type of consistent stretching is so good for you because you have to think about your body, how you want it to be mobile and flexible when you're 80, 90 years old. So do you have like beginner's workshops so that people aren't intimidated or scared? to participate at the beginning? All yoga classes that we offer are beginner classes. All of them are beginner classes, um, basically focusing on breath and basic stretching. Now, the, the beauty about yoga poses um, are that you can always go deeper. So you can start at a beginner, and in two years from now, you can go even deeper into the pose. And it's a never-ending process. So all of the workshops, all of the classes are beginner, just getting the body to stretch, getting the body to move, um, cultivating the breath and the mind and the body together. So where are your classes being held now, your classes and your workshops? So classes and workshops are basically what we, Hajo um, Total Wellness is the indigenous mobile, mobile yoga studio. So I have a van and I have yoga mats and wherever, you know, like if someone reaches out, um, go out and teach a yoga, you know, and, and host the yoga class. So there's not necessarily a one location. It's basically, you know, by invitation, um, coming and giving the yoga experience. We've done many um, different workshops, not only just like, um, let's say, like, going to, we went to Arizona one time and, you know, did some yoga classes there. Um, but we also do, for instance, like um, conferences and events. And adding that little special like yoga in there, breathing, or maybe 15 minutes of stretching during a conference, it's really beneficial and something unique and new um, with, that we can offer. We also host um, different events. Um, for instance, we hosted International Yoga Day for 2017 and 2018, um, the first, first time ever on Navajo land, which was held in Monument Valley. I bet that was absolutely beautiful and inspiring to the participants. So, Oh, it was so beautiful. I'm sure, I mean, the setting alone and then your classes. That, that I would have liked to have been at. 
Um, are classes and workshops available to youth, adults, and elders? And do you mix all of that, or do you do separate classes for youth and then a separate one for elders? And I know you said that they're all for beginners classes. We can incorporate everyone because it's such beginning uh, a beginner's practice. Um, anyone can do it with modifications. Um, separation, I would say the only type of separation that would be um, relevant would be like for children. But as far as adults and elders, everything can be modified using chairs, using straps, blocks, um, even, you know, doing everyone chair yoga. So it, it's really fluid. It's, it's actually very um, open to, um, to any platform or any age because the, it's just the idea of movement, stretching, breathing, connection. And I like how you're kind of modifying and adapting it for elders. So like the chair yoga, that's a good way to keep people engaged and uh, moving so that they extend their lives. Is this a good way to a stepping stone to a healthier life, both physically and mentally? Yes. Yoga is a lifestyle, a way of living, eventually. When you're a beginner, it's about stretching the body. You know, oftentimes we go throughout the day um, not realizing that our body needs care, self-love, self-care. And part part of the philosophy is taking care of the mental, the physical, the emotional, and spiritual well-being. Um, that's, that's what Hajo is, is um, balance, equilibrium within the body and the mind. And creating that, that connection with the elements. We are so busy every day, um, and we are expected to be as fast as technology is. What, that, what happens is we, we end up being in the fight-or-flight syndrome, um, and, and stress is created. Um, depression, all these different elements all start within the body. When we take care of our body and when we stretch the body, it's, we're able to be flexible within the world. We're able to take that moment to um, live within the present moment, rather in the past or in the future. And so it's, it's a well-being overall. It's a way of cultivating a, a healthy mind, body, soul, and spirit, and a connection to the elements and to the earth. So how do you incorporate Navajo and Indigenous teachings into your programs? Well, Hajot um, is actually the idea of um, wellness. It's a wellness philosophy and belief system of the Diné people. Um, The principles that guide one's thoughts and actions, behaviors, um, even the way that we talk, um, it it improves improves life as a whole. Um, it was given by the holy female deity, which is known as White Shell Woman, um, and it's self-empowerment through, through the way that we live, the way that we, we take action and the thought and the well-being. Um, and through this, um, we develop pride in ourselves, self-love in our body, and, and honoring all of life. Um, and, you know, and, and it becomes a state and a well-being the way of life that we respect ourselves and others. So it's, it's, um, it's basically taking, for Hajotro wellness in particular, we take the elements, um, the four elements, and we incorporate that. For instance, like breath, you know, when you breathe, you inhale. You know, we're working our lungs, we're working um, the heart, we're, we're creating oxygen throughout the body um, and, and, and creating life through that, that breath. And so giving those teachings that, that the breath of life, um, the, the fire, the wind, you know, when we speak our words that we're articulate with our words, when we have an intention, we think about it and we say it through our words, but we say it carefully because, you know, our words can, can hurt people and they can also empower people on the opposite end. So it's about mindfulness. It's about creating that connection um, with the mind um, and the elements, the body, the elements, and um, creating that that dynamic that we are connected. There's there's this idea that we are disconnected because again we live on our phones. We live in this pretense of who we should be, 
um, rather than taking the moment to accept who we are right now, um, living in the moment and, and slowing down time through movement, through breath, through stretching, um, and through taking our, what, our consciousness to the awareness around us. I like your philosophy and living in the moment and all of that. That definitely resonates. So what kind of adventures are on the horizon for you? Um, well, we are, I'm currently working with um, race and yoga um, and putting together Indigenous Yoga Day. This will be in 2023 and also getting some more workshops and um, some, you know, like weekend retreats which really um, focus on, again, away from the cell phone, going within, um, being in a place of nature um, where we can, we can appreciate our connection to, to life. And those will all be like put up um, on our social media, which is, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and that's at Hajo Total Wellness, H-O-Z-H-O. Okay, you beat me to that, so I know we're almost out of time. But I wanted to ask, where can someone go to learn more about Hoso Tunnel Wellness, and how can someone contact you? Um, you can contact me through social media again, Hoso Total Wellness on Instagram and Facebook. Um, my phone number is on there, and you know any like events or anything that we're part of is posted up on there. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to talk with us. And thanks again, Haley. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Coming up next, we'll talk with Peter Federici and Sam Hippolito. Support from Radio Phoenix comes in part from Native Health, located at 4041 North Central Avenue, Building C, near the corner of Central Avenue and Indian School Road in Phoenix, and in Mesa at 777 West Southern Avenue near the corner of Southern and Extension Roads. Native Health provides primary medical, dental, behavioral health, WIC, and wellness services for the urban Native American community. For more information, call 602-279-5262 or visit our webpage at nativehealthphoenix.org. Native Talk Arizona will return after this song. You are listening to Soul Searcher by One Way Sky. Welcome back to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and Radio Phoenix. I'm Susan Levy. On the phone with me today is Peter Federici, Coordinator for the Sustainable Communities Program at Northern Arizona University, and Samantha Hippolito is a graduate student with the program. Welcome to our show, Peter and Samantha. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're glad to be here. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. So can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Sure, I'll, I'll start. So as you mentioned, I am a coordinator of the Sustainable Communities Program at, uh, at NAU and Flagstaff. I'm also a professor in the School of Communication, and my background is uh, as a longtime environmental journalist. Um, and I'm Samantha Hippolito, and I am a graduate student at Northern Arizona University in the Sustainable Communities Program. Um, besides being a grad student, my career field is in marketing and social media, and currently, I work with the Sustainable Communities Program as a graduate assistant, working on marketing and social media for the 
Northern Arizona Rural Foods Pathway Project. And secondly, I am a public relations coordinator for North Country Healthcare, which is a community health center here in Northern Arizona. So, Peter, can you tell us a little bit about the Northern Arizona University's Sustainable Communities Program and the initiatives that you're working on? So we're an interdisciplinary graduate program. So we, we get a variety of students who do their own, who follow their own research directions and their own community engagement directions, but always with a focus on community sustainability. And one of the trends we've noticed in recent years is that more and more students are interested in engaging with food as a sort of entry point for getting into sustainability work. So we have students who are working on uh, projects involving the growing of food, projects involving uh, the equity or lack of equity of food access in the northern part of the state. And then we have uh, students who are working on issues uh, basically involving food and nutrition education. So, Samantha, can you tell us what's the Northern Arizona Future Food Producers Summit and what's the goal? So, the Northern Arizona Future Food Producers Summit is a digital summit where our goal is to connect and highlight farms, gardens, and community partners across Northern Arizona. Now, we do try to focus on collaborating with individuals from Northern Arizona, but we do find ourselves working with amazing people that come from all over the state um, who are also trying to contribute to expanding our local food system. So can you tell us about any work that you're doing with any tribal members? Um, Peter, you might be able to talk more about this, but I know in near Mojave County, we're working a lot with like the Wallapai tribe. Right. We, so we have a, a couple of projects going that engage with, uh, with tribal members. One is a, a, is a collaborative project with St. Mary's Food Bank, which is the big food bank that services communities, many hundreds of communities all throughout northern Arizona, and quite a few of those are tribal communities. So we're doing some work um, through that food bank to get better food and nutrition information out to the people who pick up the food, uh, the food boxes. And so, so that involves um, collaborating with other colleagues here at NAU who are in the field of nutrition. And we've also worked with a, a software developer that has a, um, a, a recipe app. And the idea here is to give people better ideas about what to do with the food, with, with the sort of ingredients that they find in their, in their food boxes when they, when they pick them up. So we're hoping that that has an influence on some, some tribal communities as well as, um, as well as non-tribal communities as well. That's a good program. We work with St. Mary's, and they do a great job in getting the food out. Um, so I'm going to circle back to, the, um, to Samantha. So how has the summit evolved? So originally in 2019, um, with NAZ um, Rural Foods Pathway Project, we were working with an elementary school in Golden Valley which is a city in Mojave County. And our goal was to help educate kids on nutritious foods and also help them build a community garden in the back of the school. Um, but that project led us to meeting um, farmers in, the in Mojave County's communities, such as um, Andrea, who is the owner and farmer of Roseburg Farms, a CSA and farm out in Kingman, Arizona. And then if you fast forward to 2020, um, that year for our project, we started working with Rose Birdmore um, and we tried, to, we tried to see what their needs were and we saw that it was more um, getting more like community engagement and getting the word out there. So we started um, amping up their social media and helping them with grants. Um, and from there, we kind of thought, oh, it'd be so great to have like a meet your local farmer event. But with COVID, um, we didn't want too many people being all in one spot. So we tried to brainstorm um, different ways that we can get people to the farm without actually having to go to the farm. And we saw how much Zoom was being utilized, and we decided to create our own virtual summit. Definitely we're innovative in getting the summit out there. So, Peter, who should be attending the summit, and what can they expect to learn? Yeah, I mean, I would say that anybody who's interested in, in any sort of local or regional food production in northern Arizona would be the, the first group of people who should attend, because the, the focus really is on how people who would perhaps like to get into the business of growing food, how, how they can get started and how they can, how they can ramp up. We're really interested in promoting the idea of expanding relatively small-scale food production 
in northern Arizona. I, I think that's the way that a lot of um, food systems are going because of the uncertainties of our future as far as climate change and distribution issues. So anybody who's interested in jumping in, we, we have seen that there's a lot of young people, especially, who are really interested in, in growing food, either because they're concerned about climate or because they're concerned about health and nutrition and they really want to um, grow organic food. There's a lot of tribal members who are really interested in, in food sovereignty and in promoting traditional types of foods. So there's, all, there's a lot of folks, I think, who are interested in, in entering this realm, but there are, there are hurdles. And so with this summit, we're interested in addressing some of those hurdles. So, Samantha, what topics are going to be covered on this year's summit? So this year, we have some great speakers and topics. We have our keynote speaker. His name is Bill Robinson. He is the owner of the Crazy Chili Farm, which he's actually based out of Phoenix. And we'll also have discussions um, from farmers and food safety food programs in Arizona, grant writing, food distribution and access, and also marketing and branding. So we're pretty familiar with Bill. He's an awesome guy. Uh, in fact, he's got a garden planning day tomorrow, and we just purchased a lot of blue corn from the Crazy Chili Farm. So um, that's a, I'm glad he's one of the keynotes. So what kind of lessons have people learned in the past summits? Um, so last year was our first summit, and we had a great turnout for being um, with around 94 attendees. Um, we got a lot of feedback that people thought our marketing session was great um, learning opportunity. We had Barb. She owns um, the Sweet Mac shop in Mojave County. And a lot of people learned from Rosebird. I think just being able to have all the resources and people who can help um, was really helpful last year. So Samantha, I want to ask you, do you have a favorite success story of people that you've worked with already? I would say Rosebird Farm, but that's because we're currently working with them as well. But um, honestly, I think a great success story for me is um, the Rural Foods Pathway Project that we're a part of itself. Um, and I think that's a success story to me because um, NAU study and community members just gave me and my pro project partner, Darren Bingham, um, so much trust to create a project from the one network we started with. And now we have a whole network of working with over 10 community members. So it's like great news, not only for us, but for the people we work with. For example, Andrea with Rosebird Farms can now offer like other produce from other local farms, such as like Black Ranch in Williams or Forest Hill Farms here in Flystaff. Um, so it's just great to see how connections can be made. And so Sam, what do you think the future of small business food producers is going to be? I think the future of small businesses for food producers will be vital and needed to create like a more vibrant and robust community based on um, food, set, food system networks. Um, to me, I think it's important that to support small businesses because being connected to our food is important now more than ever, especially um, being able to know where it comes from. I definitely agree. You want to know where it comes from and how it was grown. So, Peter, tell us more about what a thriving and sustainable food system looks like. So I, I think a, a thriving, sustainable food system looks like a whole lot more people producing food at different scales. And that, that could be scales that are as small as somebody's backyard garden or could be scales of a few acres, like some of the small producers that we work with or it could be scale of 100 acres, 200 acres, like farmers that, uh, that are currently in places like the Verde Valley and Chino Valley and the Navajo Nation. So a lot of food growing happening at a more regional and local scale because that sort of food growing is a lot more responsive to climate change. It's a lot more responsive to what people in those places actually have as priorities and in terms of the, the kind of food they would like to eat. And that sort of system is also economically, it, it provides some economic resilience because when you're purchasing food and you know that the, the dollars that you're spending are going to the farmer who's in your town or on, outside your town, that's a different relationship, a different economic relationship with food than if your food dollars are going to Southern California, Mexico, or a lot of the other much more distant places that we get some of our food. I definitely agree. It's important to keep your dollars local, you know, like local first. 
Um, Samantha, can you tell us what resources are available for individuals considering to become in becoming a local food producer? There are many local resources available for local food producers, such as grants, marketing, and community engagement opportunities. Um, I can't speak on all of these, but you can join our summit this coming Friday to find out more and meet the people who might who can help. So Peter and Samantha, where can someone go to learn more about and how can someone connect with you about the programs that you have and the upcoming summit? Okay, well, yes, to learn, to learn more about the uh, NAU Sustainable Communities Program, that's uh, ju- just go to Northern Arizona University on, online and look for Sustainable Communities, or you can email us at sustainable.communities at nau.edu. Yeah, so to get connected to RFPP or the summit, we are on social media, so you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at NAZ Future Food Producer Summit or visit our website, nazrfpp.info. Well, we really appreciate your time today, Peter and Samantha, and thanks so much for coming on, talking about the NAU programs, as well as the upcoming summit. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys for having us. Coming up next, we'll talk with Christina Hyatt. Support for Radio Phoenix comes in part from Native Health. Located at 4041 North Central Avenue, Building C near the corner of Central Avenue and Indian School Road in Phoenix. And in Mesa at 777 West Southern Avenue near the corner of Southern and Extension Roads. COVID vaccinations, boosters, and testings are available at both locations for anyone over the age of 5. For more information, call 602-279-5262 or visit our webpage at nativehealthphoenix.org. Native Talk will return after this song. You are listening to The It Girl by Ray Zaragoza. I could tell I was living in a world That wasn't made for brown-skinned girls Just you wait, it'll be your turn and in the mirror I would say to her I could be the end girl, can't you see? I could be the face on the magazine Paint me like a debutante, your prom queen Pretty little it girl, yeah that's me Do you ever feel like second thought it's time you give them everything you got And welcome back to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and Radio Phoenix. And I'm Susan Levy. On the phone with us today is Christina Hyatt, registered dental hygienist from North Carolina, also known as the Native American Tooth Fairy. Welcome to our show, Christina. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. We're super excited to have you with us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So as she mentioned, my name's Christina, and I'm from Cherokee, North Carolina, um, a registered dental hygienist, also known as the Native Tooth Fairy. I'm an enrolled member of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians, and I belong to the Blue Clan. I also have a four-year-old son with my husband, who we absolutely adore. I absolutely love being a mom, and I, I think that's that's it. Um, can you tell us about your journey and how you got interested in oral health? Yeah, so whenever I was in high school, um, there came a time when we were asked what career we might be interested in. And I had no idea. And we had a career day. And I decided that I might be de- interested in the dental field. 
and I know this is a silly reason, but it was basically because I thought that scrubs were cute. So um, a little later during my senior year in high school, I decided that I would do an internship with, which allowed me to pretty much job shadow the um, manager of the children's dental program at that time. And my mom really encouraged me to do that. And I'm grateful for that opportunity because it really allowed me to, you know, um, shadow her working in the dental clinic and see the community outreach work that she did. Um, And just watching her really opened my eyes to see that it definitely was something that I might be interested in down the road. Um, Whenever I graduated from high school, though, I began to think, you know, do I really want to work in people's nasty mouths for the rest of my life? Um, And it was just something that I thought about and just wasn't really sure about. So I ended up going to the University of North Carolina, Asheville, right out of high school to major in business administration. Um, And whenever I was a senior at UNCA, we had to do an internship then. And in the back of my mind, I still had a little bit of an interest in the dental field. So I started researching the dental hygiene program and all of that. And I ended up doing an internship with Mission Children's dental program in Asheville where I was able to do some research and all of that and I came across a story of a 12-year-old boy who lost his life as the result of an untreated dental infection and you know that story just really really pulled on my heartstrings and it it made me realize that this is something that was very important and it made me think of how something like that could very well happen to one of our children back home. Um, So that's really how I became passionate about promoting awareness about the importance of oral health because I wanted to prevent that from happening to our children. Um, So, I mean, you know, it, it was, my journey has not been like a straight line, but it, it's definitely been an interesting journey. And I feel like it, it's definitely where God wants me to be. Um, and right now, I actually work at the Cherokee Boys Club. I'm no longer working clinically at this time as a dental hygienist, but I have continued to do community outreach and education. You know, I um, have done oral health education videos and, you know, podcasts like this. And I also try to visit our local schools just to do oral health presentations and such. So you definitely have had an interesting journey from like dental internship to business administration and then back to with your mission and getting involved with children's oral health. And I think you've explained why you think oral health is important by your, that, that story with the 12 year old who passed away from the dental infection. So, and, and I know you're also working at the boys, boys and girls club, I believe you said. At the Cherokee boys club. Cherokee boys club. Okay. Yeah. So how are you currently promoting oral health to youth? So right now, um, like I said, I try to visit the local schools and such to do oral health presentations. And I also recently published a children's book. It's called Shelby Goes to the Dentist. And the overall goal of this book was to make sure to include Native American characters because I really wanted to focus and target our Native American youth, you know, so that they would have a resource to look at um, with their parents and caregivers. Um, Because the story kind of walks you through what would happen at a dental appointment. So like I've told other people, I really like 
to read this book to my son before he has a dental appointment because just from personal experience, it's been very, very helpful in helping reduce his dental anxiety because we are able to kind of give him a heads up, you know, and remind him of what to expect at a dental appointment. And when he feels nervous or scared when he's in the actual dental chair, I'll just kind of reference the book and remind him, you know, well, this is what happens next. And it's been very helpful. So I haven't been able to promote the book a whole lot, but I'm very excited, you know, that it is now available and hope to promote that and get it into the hands of as many Native children as possible, just because I think it would be helpful um, for them. Your book is absolutely amazing and super important that we get it into the hands of kids um, to reduce their anxiety. I know I get anxious when I go to the dentist and things like that. But um, I wanted to ask you, so how do how and why does oral health impact your overall health? So a lot of people don't realize it, but if you don't have a healthy mouth, you will not have a healthy body. And that's another thing, you know, that I really want to try to work on promoting awareness about throughout Indian country um, because it's important. And like I said, a lot of people are simply unaware, but, you know, your oral health can be connected to things such as heart disease and it can also affect diabetes and um, a lot of that. So, um like I said, it's not been, there's not a whole lot of awareness, but it definitely needs to happen. And um, another thing that I like to tell my younger patients is it's important to be mindful and aware, like whenever you're brushing your teeth and you spit into the sink, and this kind of might be a little bit gross, but if you spit in the sink and there's blood, you need to try to do a little bit better brushing because that could be an indicator that there's an infection going on in your mouth. So if you're not brushing properly, if you're not flossing, your gums could become really like red and puffy and tender. And it's as a result of the plaque just kind of lingering around your gum tissue and irritating it and causing an effect in an, an infection and that infection could actually spread, you know, to other parts of your body. So it's important to just be aware of that. And another thing that I try to tell my patients is a lot of times if you go a long time without flossing or without brushing your teeth properly, your gums will feel really sore. And like I said before, they may bleed but it's important that you continue to brush and floss the best that you can because if you don't, that soreness will just continue to stay there. It, it won't get better. But as you clean your mouth better, the soreness, you know, will go away as your gums start to heal. So I, I just feel like that's something to really be um, mindful of whenever you're brushing your teeth. That's a super helpful tip. I know that um, some people in my family during COVID have kind of slacked off from brushing their teeth because they're at home mm -hmm. all the time and they're not brushing their teeth or flossing. And I have to remind them, don't forget to do that every day. Right. Uh, especially, especially, you know, like with us wearing masks, I was doing some research. It's been a couple of months ago, but there's such a thing called mask mouth as well and when we're wearing our masks we have a tendency to breathe through our mouth and that results in our mouth becoming dry um, and it actually increases your risk for cavities so during all this COVID and the mask wearing it's very important to make sure you're brushing you know and also rinsing your mouth out with water from time to time. Okay, that's a definite helpful tip. I had not heard about that. So I want to circle back and ask you, um, so how early should you start oral health care in young children? Should it be when they're a baby, when they have a first tooth, uh, or when they're two years old? What advice do you have? 
Absolutely. So oral health care should start right away, even, you know, and you can, there's different resources available that will, will kind of walk parents through the steps. Um, and e- even when a child doesn't even have teeth, it's helpful to wipe out their mouth, you know, and clean clean their gums, even with it, if it's with like a, a wet cloth or something of that sort. Um, and it's important that you start as early as you can to also kind of help your child get used to that and to develop that habit. Another thing that I think a lot of parents are unaware of is that it's also important to start flossing pretty soon, especially if you notice that the contacts, the spaces in between your child's teeth, like if they're, if they're tight contacts, because at that point, food and all of that can begin to get caught in between your teeth. And if you're not flossing and helping floss your child's teeth, they could already, you know, start getting cavities at a very young age. Um, So it's very important. And also as parents, I think it's important for us to set a good example. If we're, if our children see us brushing and flossing our teeth, then they're going to be more interested in taking care of their teeth as well. So I think that that's important too. Those are definitely helpful hints uh, to do all the time. So I wanted to ask you, I know that you're involved with the Center for Native Health. Can you tell us what that is and where it is and what you all do? Yeah, so um, the mission of the Center for Native Health is to integrate culturally grounded traditional knowledge and native language into new paradigms of healthcare and education by improving the quality of life for native people. Um, and I just recently became a board member of this organization. And it's been very interesting to me because we've been able to collaborate on a couple of, you know, projects that, that I feel are important. And with my background in dental hygiene, and then also I serve as a school board representative here in Cherokee, um, it's been great to collaborate with them. One of their goals is to mentor Native youth into careers in health professions. Um, And I know that, I know, I think you had an interview with Trey Adcock just the other day but he and I have been discussing, you know, possible ways to create mentorships for our Native youth here, which I'm very excited about. Um, So that's just kind of like a little bit of information regarding that, but I'm very excited to be a part of the Center for Native Health. Yeah, we did. We already did Trey's interview and now yours. And we are working with you on the Tea with the Tooth Fairy event. And we are so appreciative of everything that you both are doing for us. So thank you. Um, But I wanted to ask you, so what's your favorite success story in terms of oral health and and hygiene? I know you mentioned earlier the story about the 12 year old that made such an impact. But in terms of success, how would you quantify that? Whenever I first came across that question, what is your favorite success story? I immediately, you know, kind of thought back to my dental hygiene career and whenever I worked clinically. Um, I was a hygienist for the children's dental program, which is a tribal program here. And our children are fortunate, you know, to be able to have braces and I was the hygienist who would would work with those kids teach them how to take proper care of their mouth and all of that Um, and I had one particular patient um, he would come in for his appointment and he he really had a hard time because he had a very sensitive gag reflex and every time he'd come in you know we would try to do do x-rays but it was always unsuccessful because he just felt like he couldn't do it. So each time, you know, I would just try to um, develop a positive relationship with him, you know, to get him to trust me. And I, I would even try to use tips and tricks that 
you can't learn out of a textbook, but that you learn from fellow hygienists. And one day he came in and I talked to him, you know, and I said, do you think we can try to take your dental x-rays today? And he looked at me and was kind of nervous and grinned. And um, I said, I think today is the day. I think we can do it. And he agreed to try it. And one of the tips and tricks that we used was for him to raise raise his foot up in the air. And that was in an effort, you know, to get him thinking about lifting his foot up instead of thinking about opening his mouth and, you know, taking the x-rays and all of that. And on that day, we were able to successfully get his dental x-rays. And that was just one of those moments where I was just, it it was amazing, I guess, the impact that as dental professionals we have on people and how just some, a simple trick such as asking someone to raise their foot that was able to take his mind off of things and kind of help um, help take away some of his dental anxiety. So that that is def- definitely one success story that I have as a dental hygienist. So, Christina, I got to say that that's pretty inspiring. I know that I was really traumatized by going to the dentist as a child and terrified. And I wish I would have had somebody like you, because now as an adult, um, that would have helped a lot. So thank you. And thank you for doing everything you do with the community and the youth. Um, We're almost out of time, but I wanted to just quickly ask you, how can someone contact you? So I, I can be reached on either Facebook or Instagram right now. That's going to be the easiest way. Um, you can find me on Facebook as Christina Hyatt. Um, and then on Instagram, my handle is native underscore tooth fairy. Perfect. That's great. I'm sure you're going to get a lot of people reaching out to you. So I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to talk to us today, Christina. I've absolutely loved it and I've learned a lot. So thank you. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Native Talk Arizona, which is produced through a partnership between Native Health and Radio Phoenix. Our sound engineer is Javier Quiroga and the executive producer is Susan Levy. We hope you'll listen again next week. If you have any questions, please email us at nativetalkaz at radiophoenix.org.